What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. The evening hours of Thursday, August 4th, 2022, as the St. Louis Cardinals have got it going on. The boys are rolling, folks, as the Cardinals have completed the sweep of the Chicago Cubs, not only on Thursday's doubleheader at Bush Stadium, but in the entirety of the three-game series at Bush as the Cardinals get it done on Tuesday and then a couple of times on Thursday to sweep the Cubs out of town. But more than that, the Cardinals have climbed back into a first-place tie with the Milwaukee Brewers in the National League Central Division because Milwaukee has been, uh, for lack of a better phrase, wetting the bed the last few days. They have lost now four games in a row and twice in a row on walk-offs to the Pittsburgh Pirates. It doesn't get much worse than that. That's where the Brewers find themselves. Hey, it wasn't my idea to trade Josh Hader at the trade deadline. And now twice they have had the relievers filling in for the former Brewers closer, not get the job done. Consecutive walk-off losses, four losses in a row for the Brewers. The Cardinals have won four in a row. And let the games begin. There is now a tie atop the National League Central Division. Welcome into the show. Excited to break down the doubleheader sweep for the Cardinals. This evening, but before we get into the conversation surrounding those games, I want to remind you guys real quickly that you can subscribe to Be Shafe Daily if you have not done so already, and I would love it if you would, over on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. In fact, we've got seven different locations, I believe, if you head to anchor.fm slash bshafer12, where you can find the Be Shafe Daily podcast. And listen, if you're enjoying the show, that's great. The plan is to continue rolling this thing into the remainder of the season into the postseason, especially the way the Cardinals are playing lately. We should have some interesting October episodes of B-Shape Daily. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of it. As uh, a community, we continue to talk about these things. B-Shape Daily listeners can hit me up on Twitter at bshafer 12 always getting people involved in the show. And a feature that I haven't mentioned recently, but I used to definitely check it quite often. And if people want to get involved this way as well, on Anchor.fm, you can leave a voicemail message that I would be able to play on the show. Answer your questions, respond to your commentary, anything you want to say about the Cardinals, you can do so. Record your own message by going to your web browser and typing in Anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message, and then record right there from your phone or computer, and you can hear your message played on B-Shape Daily in a future episode. So that's pretty cool. If you've been using that feature and I haven't talked about it recently, I apologize if I've missed your message. I want to go back and, and start to do that a little bit more because that was a lot of fun when people would chime in with their thoughts. A lot of good thoughts from the Cardinals fan community. So I want to make sure we get a hold of those and uh, highlight them on the show. One more reminder as well, if you'd like to support the show, which a number of people have done this week and the latest to do so was Ethan, which I appreciate tremendously. The way you do that is by going to my Twitter page, at bshafer12, clicking on the money button next to the follow button, and there you'll be linked to my Venmo or my Cash App account, and that's how you can support Bshafe Daily. And I appreciate it genuinely as we get this thing off the ground. Been recording every evening. Uh, I think I missed Sunday, but otherwise it seems like maybe for three, four weeks now we have been rocking and rolling, and it's all for you guys. So appreciate all the support that you've been giving me. Let's dive into the content of the show by talking about a Cardinals sweep over the Cubs within the three-game series and a little bit more specifically within the two-game doubleheader on Thursday. Start out with game one, and the Cardinals in this one looked as though they might get 
bested in this game by Marcus Stroman. He was on his game for the first six innings, and the only base runners the Cardinals had to speak of were two base hits by Brendan Donovan, and I don't believe he reached second base either time. Just no scoring threat whatsoever against Stroman for the first six innings. And there have been games like that for the Cardinals in the past where you just get a sense that it's not going to be their day. They get down by a couple runs. At that point in time, the Cardinals were trailing in game one on Thursday, 3-0 heading into the seventh inning. And I think when those two runs for the Cubs score in the top of the sixth and the Cardinals don't answer immediately back, that's when maybe the air gets let out of the stadium just a little bit. In the atmosphere of game one, not as great as it you know might have been if it had been a game on Wednesday night. Obviously, you had the rain out. And so last night's B-Shape Daily, by the way, we didn't talk about any games because none had happened. But if you scroll back on your podcast feed, had a lot of fun on Wednesday night talking about, and it was really just a prediction of a look into the future of what the 2024 St. Louis Cardinals lineup could look like. We, we jumped two years ahead and dove into our predictions on that one through nine and talked about some other iterations. If it's not our initial prediction, what could it be instead with a few different players' names that were thrown around? Talked to some prospects, talked to some guys that are you're probably already familiar with in the organization, but that was a lot of fun. Head back on your podcast feed to check that out on B-Shape Daily from Wednesday night. But because we had no game, that's the route that we went. And the fact that Wednesday night's game doesn't happen means that Thursday afternoon's game is the same people who would have gone to Wednesday's game, but there's no guarantee all the fans can make it. And so it wasn't exactly a full crowd for that one. And it just feels like, yeah, the offense isn't really finding a way to dig deep and generate some run scoring at that point. Miles Michaelis had pitched a pretty fine game Dealing with some frustrations, by the way, with the umpire. Let's take a moment to talk about that. I've never seen anything on the amateurish level that we saw from the home plate umpire from game one where Miles Michaelis was ready to throw a pitch. It was a 2-1 pitch. Adam Amari was the home plate umpire. And the batter in the batter's box didn't call time. Catcher didn't call time. And Miles Michaelis sure as hell didn't call time. But who did call time was Adam Amari, the home plate umpire, while Miles was well within his motion and already delivering to home plate through the pitch, it was in the strike zone, didn't get called a strike because it was a no pitch. But the umpire, clear as day in the replays, you saw this, he just wasn't ready. I've never seen anything like that before in my life where the umpire isn't ready and you know he wasn't down into his crouch like he should have been, but the batter was in the box, Miles was towing the rubber, There's no reason as the umpire to not be in position. And because he was out of position, he called time. Mid-pitch, I've never seen anything like it. And Miles let him have it. I like that Miles and Ollie Marmel let the umpire have it, let the crew chief have it, because Amari was not the crew chief. That's Marty Foster's crew. And so Ollie let him know, like, this is unacceptable. And then later on, Amari, the home plate umpire, tries to throw a ball to Michaelis, and he bounces it to the plate, or to the mound, I should say. And it rolls away. Nolan Gorman has to go pick it up. They did a great job on Valley identifying what was going on there. And uh, Van Hickelstein, if you know at VHS on Twitter, at Van Hickelstein, you call him VHS, he posted a good uh, replay of of that situation from the Valley broadcast, the weirdness that was going on with the umpire in game one. I've just never seen anything like that. Didn't actually have an impact on the outcome of the game. And I think good restraint by the umpiring crew not to throw anybody out in that situation because that would have just been making a bad situation worse if you as an umpiring crew have messed something up and the players are going to let you know about it or the opposing manager is going to let you know about it 
and then you get all in your feelings and decide to throw him out, that wouldn't be right because it was your fault to begin with. So Miles continuing in the game, that was a positive to get to see. But I think that that certainly had some some uh, impact in, in shaking things up a little bit, making game one a little more interesting from that perspective. But Miles ends up having a fine outing, gives you a quality start, his 15th of the year, six and a third, gives up three runs, had the home run he allowed, walked one, eight hits, six strikeouts. His ERA now at 2.92 for the season. He's still been very, very good. Wasn't his best outing, but that's what I like about Michaelis. Even when he doesn't give you his best outing, he's going to give you, you know, he's probably going to pitch into the seventh. That's what he does today, six and a third. Kept the Cardinals in it with the uh, the quality start. But it did just feel as though when you're losing in the game, you have those weird things going on, umpiring's not going your way, not a big crowd, offense can't find some, some motivation, some generation for some run scoring. Just felt like they might go gently into that good afternoon. Say, ah, we'll get him tonight. We'll get him in the night game. Didn't happen that way, though. And once again, you see a young contributor, a young player for the Cardinals that a number of days ago people would have said, oh, let's let's trade that guy for Juan Soto. And I'm not blaming fans for feeling that way. If you're a fan of the Cardinals, you're a fan of the idea that Juan Soto would be on this team. That's a no-brainer. But I, I like the way the young guys have responded to all of that extra stuff, all the stuff that they had no control over. But now that they're still here, they're they're making their opportunities count. Nolan Gorman, another opposite field home run, by the way. Earlier in this series on Tuesday, he had a double to the opposite field, ground rule double. Bounced over the wall and robbed him of an RBI. But that was another swing to left center. And a week ago or so, he had a home run to the opposite field. He has been generating those kinds of power swings to all fields, which is really good to see from a guy who I think you might have said he's a little one-dimensional coming up because they knew that the raw power was a thing for Nolan Gorman, but worried about the strikeouts, worried about the consistency. But that's a sign that he's really starting to put things together. So I really like seeing that from Gorman in game one. If for no other reason, then the Cardinals needed a swing right there. I mean, like I said, that 3 nothing score, you're feeling as though maybe this isn't their day, this isn't their game. Gorman puts a charge into one. Paul Goldschmidt. Puts a charge into one. His 26th of the year for Nolan. It was his 12th. And now the Cardinals have gone back-to-back. And it's a 3-2 game, but the vibe had completely shifted. You could just tell that something was was special in the air at that point. Arenado with a good swing. He doubles. And then a couple of sacrifice flies to follow. Tie the game in the seventh inning. And from there, you say, all right, Cardinals bullpen. You should be rested after no game Wednesday. Wayno goes pretty deep into the game on Tuesday. You guys should be rested and ready to go. Good job by James Nail, by the way, to get him out of that seventh inning. He was the 27th man for the the doubleheader. The kid from Southeast Missouri, and good to see him continuing to take advantage of his chances. I know he's going to go right back down to Memphis on Friday because he, he was just the extra man for the doubleheader. But this is a guy that's not allowed an earned run yet in his big league career as a, as a St. Louis Cardinal, which is, you know, he wouldn't be anywhere else. Five games, six innings, no runs. That, I'm, that's what I'm talking about, James Nail. That's awesome. I hope he gets more of a chance as the season goes along. You know, some of the things the Cardinals have done in terms of roster moves and uh, pretending to the bullpen, I know people are a little concerned about that. Zach Thompson goes back down today, despite the fact that he has just been absolute nails out of the bullpen for St. Louis. But they're still dealing with that situation of, well, honestly, worrying about maybe contracts and experience and veteran 
deferrals uh, compared to performance. And the Cardinals are in a really tough spot with this. TJ McFarland is obviously, I think, the name that a lot of Cardinals fans look at and say, now how can you justify? This is It's not like it's mid-April. It's not May 1st. This is August. This is August in a pennant race. How are you finding a way to justify keeping guys on the roster like TJ McFarland, for example, who has got a 6.60 ERA on the season, hasn't been as effective this year as he, certainly not as effective as he was a year ago when he joined the Cardinals midsummer and was honestly their best reliever, one of their best relievers, and certainly from the left side was their top guy. So how can you continue to justify that? And the, it's, it's as though he's just performing enough to be able to keep his job and not outright get the DFA where the Cardinals say, well, we're going to eat that money. Like in his last appearance, which was the 26th of July, gee whiz, inning in a third, no runs. But it's just a weird scenario where, yeah, he's around, but how much are you going to trust TJ McFarland right now in a premium spot, in a premium situation? I think the answer is maybe not very much because if it were another answer, Ali Marmel would probably be using him more often. Problem is, and it's not a problem, but the reality is since June 12th, which again, he had a little stint on the injury list, so it's been not entirely true that he's been available for all these games. He actually missed close to a month between appearances from June 18 to July 14. But in his last eight games, TJ McFarland has eight innings, two earned runs, which is an ERA of 2.25. So he's pitching okay, but they have not trusted him. I mean, it tells you all you need to know. Granted, they've had some good starts and they've been in leading situations recently in the past week or so, which is part of the reason you don't see much of McFarland because he had been sort of relegated to that spot in the bullpen where we're behind, we're close, but we need uh, some innings covered because the starter didn't go deep, stuff like that. And those situations haven't ar- arisen all that often lately. But it's just crazy to think, and again, Zach Thompson's another guy who hadn't pitched in a long while. So when he gets the the, uh, the motion to Memphis today, you're kind of like scratching your head, like, hasn't he pitched pretty well? Yeah, he has. I believe the the mark for him is 17 innings, one earned run on the season as a reliever. He had that one start where he got beat up in five innings in in Pittsburgh, or against Pittsburgh, I should say. But otherwise, it's been 17 innings, one run. And following that start, it's been 13 consecutive scoreless innings dating back to June 18th for Zach Thompson. But he hasn't really been utilized a whole lot. And so they, they send him back down for the Jordan Montgomery edition today. And it's a little tricky, like I said, because TJ has pitched well enough, I guess, technically to keep the job and he's being paid. But Zach Thompson's been a little bit better, right? Like it's it's pretty clear that Zach Thompson's been good. So you'd like to see him get the chance to stay with the team. But the Cardinals are deferring to the veterans in that spot. I don't think TJ McFarland should lose his job. Not for what he's done over the last eight appearances, right? He's been better. But at the same time, it is a performance business, and I think the Cardinals, if you were honest about it, probably a better team with Zach Thompson in that role. And at some point, they may have to make that decision. And I, I don't, I don't even like talking about it because I want I root for TJ McFarland. I'd like to see him do well. But it's a bottom line business at some point, and so it's just an interesting sort of situation, an interesting setup to see a guy like Thompson, a rookie, 
get thrown on that Memphis shuttle back and forth, but he does such a good job when he's here. James Nail, same thing right now. It's a it's a performance league, and both those guys have been performing, but you've got that veteran situation. A little bit of a similar spot going on on the offense. I know I'm getting a little bit off track, but that's what I do. Corey Dickerson has been, seems like, on that chopping block for a while now, but if you look at his numbers over the last three weeks or so, he's got an OPS of like 900 or 1,000. Lars Newtbar, since July 1st, has an OPS of near 1,100. We'll get to Newtbar in a second. But when I think about the Cardinals now, there's no Harrison Bader. He's He's been on the injured list, but he's not coming back now because you traded him. And so the Cardinals are rolling with an outfield of Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, and then a right field, you're going to see a lot of Lars Newpar, I think, some Corey Dickerson. But then you look down at Memphis and go, man, that Alec Burleson, he's, a, he's an MLB top 100 prospect. He's got 19 home runs this year and an OPS of 940. That guy might be a great MLB slugger. He might be a legitimate starter in the outfield on a team that's trying to contend. Like Alec Burleson could be that kind of player. He's a top 100 prospect in the MLB for a reason. But you're not going to dump Corey Dickerson if he's playing well. It's just he's playing well in more of a reserved role. And I think the, the situations for Dickerson and even McFarland are similar right now. Because they haven't done anything yet. It's like it's like they're on probation, and the next time they mess up, you go, oh, that's it. We're going we're gonna to make the switch. John Mozalak has made comments recently about having a guy in Memphis who could, who could help us, who could get some outfield time. But you're not just going to dump a player that's part of this clubhouse and is doing a good job. If, if guys were failing at the the tasks and the jobs they were given, like earlier in the season was happening, different story. But it seems like they've allowed some of these players to work through some of those struggles. They're doing well enough now, but they also don't play a ton in either case, McFarland or Dickerson, because you've got better options than than those guys on most days. So it's it's a weird little dichotomy, but I wanted to kind of break that down a little bit before I get into the way that the Cardinals were able to win this game in game one on Thursday afternoon. I mentioned Nail. Gallegos and Helsley then come in. They both do their job out of the bullpen. Helsley's got a 0-6-2 ERA for the season. He's been fantastic. One of the best relievers in baseball. And you may not even need the one of qualifier. He might just be the best reliever in baseball with some of the things that he's done this year. But Lars Newtbar, baby, coming through once again for the Cardinals in that first game, gets the walk-off hit, driving home, Nolan Arenado, one for three with two RBIs in that game, 724 the OPS for the season at that point. Dylan Carlson's is only 722. So I don't mean that as a slight to Dylan. I I more mean it to praise Lars Newbar from where he came from to where he's at right now because Newbar was really struggling out of the gate this season. And I think it's primarily because he didn't have a chance. He was going back and forth between here and Memphis because when he'd get here, he wouldn't play. And when he would sparingly play, he wouldn't hit. So they'd realize after a while, they need to send him back down because they need the at-bats. They need him to stay fresh and stay sharp and be getting those repetitions to improve and hone his craft. But he'd come back. It would be kind of a, a recycled version of what had happened before. And it hasn't really been till this last month or so that he's kind of lined in with the opportunities and then he's been able to take off and take advantage of them. On June 23rd, I'm just looking through his box scores right now. He had a few multi-hit games, a couple multi-hit games in June. Had a good two for three day on the 23rd. But then it would be 0 for on a pinch hit, 0 for on a pinch hit. He'd finally get a start, 0 for 4, 0 for on a pinch hit. 
couple days later, Ofer getting a start, Ofer on a pinch hit. He would just have, I mean, he went from the 24th to July 5th without a base hit. Then he would get a pinch hit chance, and that's where it really started. July 5th, got a pinch hit. A couple days later, got a start, doubled, reaches base, and then he went on a little bit of a hitting streak and has just kept plucking away at it. And over that road trip in particular, he really started to get some opportunities and took big advantage in Toronto early in the D.C. series. He had a little four-game hitting streak and then erupting on Tuesday with a three-for-three. Reaching base four times with a walk. So, game two tonight, he didn't do anything. Well, he he did reach base with a walk and scored a run, but no base hits. So the OPS dropped a little bit back to seven twelve. But I'm telling you what, Lars Newpar plays good defense. He's a good energy guy, and he comes up with the biggest hit of the game in game one. After the middle of the lineup was able to do its damage, Gorman, Goldie, Arenado, you had to find somebody else that could come through late in the game. You get into you get into a situation there in the bottom of the ninth where it's up to you. Why not Lars Newbar, huh? I mean, that's a situation for a young player to come through, and you saw the exuberance and the excitement that he brings to the table after scoring that walk-off hit and seeing Arenado slide in safely. He's got the tongue out wagging. He's celebrating. Arenado finds him immediately, makes a beeline for him to celebrate with him. That was a team having a lot of fun. You could tell the buzz was going on in the afternoon game. And then they replicated in the evening with the first start by Jose Quintana. Pitching against his former team, used to be a Chicago Cub. Talk about how he came over to the Cubs in the deal that sent Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez to the south side of Chicago, to the White Sox. That's a deal that has not worked out for the Cubs. And uh, tonight, Quintana giving the Cubs a taste of what it's like to face him. As they had to do, and, and he put down that Chicago lineup for a strong six innings. I think coming into this night game, you knew it needed to be a win for the Cardinals just based on the matchup with Quintana going, and he ends up, as I predicted on KTGR this afternoon, he ends up getting that quality start. I said six innings at least, and he's not going to give up more than two runs. He even exceeded those expectations going six and giving up just one, a solo shot to former Cardinal Patrick Wisdom, and that's the only run that the Chicago Cubs got against him in this one. Just a really solid outing by Quintana in his first appearance as a Cardinal. And I think this is what you're going to come to expect from Jose Quintana. Just one quality start after the next. And it struck me on Tuesday night when Adam Wainwright said of Quintana, talking about having him as a teammate, I thought he should have been here years ago, is what Wainwright said. He said, I think he's going to fit in really well with what we do here. He's a veteran. He's a gamer. He just goes and gets after it. He he wants to win. He got some texts from the Pittsburgh clubhouse. You know, Quintana is a guy that he's been around a little bit, like I said, with, with the Cubs. Played against him in the same division. But Wainwright seemed to really know and relish the fact that Jose Quintana was now a teammate of his. And when he said that, when he made that comment where he said, I thought, he, I thought we should have had him years ago. Like, he should have already been here, was what Adam Wainwright said. And that's just interesting to me that you'd say that about a player who was, you know, now he's obviously on your team, but that, You'd have that thought as a Major League Baseball player and a veteran like Wainwright who knows the feel of a clubhouse and he knows what it what it takes and the kinds of guys that you need. The fact that he had already identified, it sounds like, and you could tell that this wasn't just a spur-of-the-moment thought that Wainwright was, was letting out on Tuesday, something that he had probably thought about before and genuinely did feel, yeah, like 
in previous free agency periods or previous periods where guys available in a trade. Like, yeah, I feel like this guy should have already been a Cardinal. When he said that, that reinforced my belief that I already had, which was that Jose Quintana is going to, if he stays healthy and pitches well down the stretch, he's going to be a Cardinal for the next two or three years after that too. Like the Cardinals are going to sign him. I know that he's a free agent after the season, and I know that Jordan Montgomery, the other trade acquisition, is the only guy of the two that's under team control through 2023. Quintana's going to be here. I'm telling you that right now. If things go the way I think they're going to go, the way they went tonight, down the stretch, they're going to find a way and say, what do you want? Two-year deal, three-year deal. All right, he's 33 years old. He hasn't pitched as well the last couple of years. It's It's been good this year for him, and that's impressive to me considering the environment in, in Pittsburgh was not a winning one. But 2021, he had an ERA over six and was partially a reliever. I mean, 29 games, only 10 starts, just wasn't fully healthy, wasn't fully in a starter's mode and relegated to the bullpen on an Angels team, which is crazy to me because they can never find enough starting pitching, and then was traded to the Giants at the deadline. Year before that with the Cubs, four and a half ERA, but only pitched in a few games. Had some injuries, obviously, and then uh, 2020 was the COVID year, so wouldn't have been able to pitch a full season, as it were. Prior to that, 2019, 4.68 ERA. Prior to that, in 18, his first full year as a Cub, 4.03 ERA. I mean, this guy has has not had a year of the quality that he's had so far in 2022 for quite some time now. But he's he's a better pitcher than what he's been, and I think he's now in the right spot to really maximize what he can do. He's got a good defense behind him. He's got a winning environment. He's got a team that needs him to fill that role of a mid-rotation anchor to throw quality starts one after the next. I think he's going to really fit in well, and I do. I could see... Again, I don't think he should cost a ton because he hasn't been all that effective recently, but if he has a great rest of the year and finishes his ERAs at 3.1 or something, maybe teams would give him a four-year deal. But I think a two-, three-year contract, at, I don't know. It's, I don't ever like doing the contract guessing game, but if you're going to give him $30 million over three or $35 million over three, I, I'm telling you, I think he pitches the way the rest of the year that would, would actually dictate deserving that kind of deal. And I think it'd be a smart. I think it'd be smart money for the Cardinals to pay, but we'll see. Uh, maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. But he looked really good tonight. Looked exactly the way I expected him to look, and uh, not all that old. So I think I think you might have found a guy here who, yeah, just thirty three. He's got a few good years left in the tank. I think, and and spending those years with the Cardinals might maximize what he's able to do. So we'll see if that happens. But the main takeaway was that tonight he was on his game, on his game against his former team. We'll hope that Jordan Montgomery has the same situation on Saturday when he faces his former team, the Yankees, in his Cardinals debut. But liked what you saw from the offense, I would say, for the most part. I mean, it's nice that they scored five runs over the seventh and eighth innings, their final two at-bats. Tyler O'Neill obviously delivering the big blow with the three-run homer after a little bit of a tougher day, but comes through with a bang at the end of it. Three-run shot, puts the Cardinals ahead 5-2. to two. It had been... 2-1 to one since the beginning of the game, 2-1 to one after the first inning, and then a lot of zeros thrown up by both sides. For the Cardinals, that's where the disappointment, I think, comes in a little bit because he knew on the other side was Sean Newcomb to start this game, and he hasn't really been a starter. He hasn't really been healthy, and he's just been bad. Had an ERA over 11 coming in. That was the guy that I imagined you could get six or eight runs off of in, in an inning or two. I mean, they I really thought they were going to bombard this guy. And they only got two runs, and they allowed him to get through three, dance around some trouble. Struck him for the one home run. That was Arenado that got him. 
but you knew that the bullpen was going to be a little bit beat up for the Cubs after they they literally traded like half their bullpen. Okay, not literally, but practically. I mean, they traded away, uh, who was it? Scott F. Ross to the Yankees, I believe it was. Even though he's like rookie eligibility and has tons of team control, they thought they could get a piece for him and he's upper 20s, so in that part of their future, okay, fine. Traded Michael Gibbons, who I've long thought should be a Cardinals reliever. That's just never worked out, but he's a good he's a good arm. And so they lose reliability there in trading him away, and they traded their closer, David Robertson, who had had a good year. So, honestly, the three best relievers all gone, and you essentially go into this as a bullpen game. I thought, man, the Cardinals should unload. And it was funny on KTGR, the big show, 4-6. to six, You guys can listen to that. If you, if you, if you don't get enough of me on B-Shape Daily, uh, myself and Andy Humphrey, you'll get to hear me interact with somebody else. On this show, there's really nobody to make fun of. I, I'm kind of in my zone when I can tease and, and, and give some trouble to Andy on the air. That's a lot of fun for me. So you guys might enjoy that dynamic at KTGR. Big show on Twitter. It's KTGR.com. And uh, we also have an app that you can listen to the show. So you don't have to live in Columbia, Missouri to listen to it. But uh, that's four to six weekdays. And we do have a Spotify podcast as well called The Big Show. But we said on the show, Andy predicted eight, two Cardinals. And I lined it up saying we'd see Quintana throw six. He'd go two or fewer runs. And I said seven, three Cardinals. Maybe the bullpen would give up one or two. And uh, it was seven, two. I said 7-3, Andy said 8-2, and the Cardinals said, screw you, you're both wrong, it's 7-2. But a really nice performance. I just think they could have done more in the middle innings, but that's picking nits at this point because they did get seven runs. They found crooked numbers in three different innings. I love the way they tacked on to, like the seventh is obviously the big blow because it was tied after Cardinals gave up one run in the top of the seventh inning, which was Jordan Hicks. Uh, yeah, man, I, I wish I wish Jordan Hicks could get it under control a little bit. That's the one maybe downside of the night just in terms of uh, walking guys. If he just stays in the strike zone, I think he's invincible. But he just hasn't been able to figure out how to do that. It's the reason he wasn't able to stick in the rotation because you have to be efficient to stay in a starting role. And uh, now in the bullpen, a little bit of trouble there, giving up a run because of those two walks that he allowed in the seventh inning. But then you come back with Tyler O'Neill, the three-run shot, the dagger in the bottom of the seventh. But I want to mention that I love the way they they battled in the eighth inning as well, and Dylan Carlson just doing the little things, the fundamentals. Again, not a great night for him in game two, but he turns it into a solid one by getting that hit, and then it was just a ground ball through the middle. Shortstop dove to his left, couldn't get it. But the, the center fielder you know, had to range to his right to be able to pick up the ball. But that's a, a routine single every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Dylan turns it into a double by just he doesn't take anything for granted. He's hustling all the way and not a great route by the center fielder on what should be a routine play. If you catch them napping and just treating it like it's routine, that's how you can take advantage of teams. And Dylan Carlson is a baseball player to the nth degree, and he finds a way to do it right there. Gets the double, puts himself into scoring position, and uh, had moved the runner over from there. And the base hit by Edmonds scores two because of it. So you get insurance and you get it in a meaningful way. Chris Stratton throws a scoreless ninth inning. He did walk a couple guys. You want to keep that under control. If you're Stratton, you're going to be a guy that's going to be like the new Nick, new Nick Whitgren, as I called it. Whitgren would throw every day. Every day, Nick. Well, Stratton might end up being that kind of guy. He just seems like he can can take the ball and go. He's He was leading the team in appearances this season before he ever got here, right? He had made like 40 appearances, which would have led the team had he been here. And, and now he's made two already since arriving. Just want to see him not walk, guys. That's the one downside, I think, from the bullpen tonight. 
Good outing by Cabby. Hennessy's Cabrera got the eighth, a scoreless inning, fielded his position well. Saw good things all around. Like I said, I think they could have really beat up the Cubs pitching earlier in this game, but the fact that they do it eventually says uh, they were taking good at-bats and they were staying vigilant, staying ready, and they end up getting the job done. 7-2 win for the Cardinals. And as I mentioned, the Brewers, a couple more losses in the last couple days and by a walk-off in both cases. And the Cardinals and Brewers are now tied atop the NL Central after the Brewers have lost four in a row, three of them to the Pirates, which is just, it boggles the mind. The Pirates have a couple impressive sweeps this year. They swept the Dodgers earlier in the season. Now they swept the Brewers. And Pittsburgh, uh, good for them. They're into third place in the division. They've passed the Reds and the Cubs. But the Cardinals take care of their business against Chicago, and they won that final game against Washington when Palante had the eight innings, his reward being a demotion to the bullpen. But that's an innings thing. I don't think that's a performance thing. And also, you've got a short leash, I think, on Dakota Hudson. Like, if he doesn't pan out at this point, you may end up seeing Palante back in the rotation. Or you may see Jack Flaherty be able to push by the end of August. That would be great. That would be ideal. And then there'd be no qualms about moving Hudson to the bullpen because he's been a good reliever in the past. And I think that strengthens your pitching staff as a whole if you go that route toward the end of the season, if you if you have the luxury of doing so. And then next year, worry about next year then. I mean, worry about what that looks like in spring training. Compete with Hudson and Palante and those different guys for the fifth starter job. Yeah, it's unfortunate for a Hudson to have to feel like he's earning it every time he goes out there. But at the same time, it's a performance-based league. How many times have we said that? And uh, in a lot of ways, Hudson is not performed up to expectation. He's regressed in some ways. The 4.10 ERA this season, he's been hit and miss at times. The walk, I mean, the strikeout-to-walk ratio is pretty ugly. 54 strikeouts in 101 innings and only 10 more strikeouts than walks. He's walked 44 batters in 101 innings. So that's, you know, that's not starter quality from Hudson. He's got to be better, and I think he knows that. But his stuff is his stuff. It's it's about maximizing that stuff, though. And so he's going to have every chance to do it. He's going to pitch for the Cardinals. He's going to get a, a very uh, difficult matchup on Friday night in the New York Yankees. And we'll see. I think we'll see how it goes because it, there are going to be some expectations upon Hudson to, to step it up or they've now got answers as to how they want to fill things. And that's why it was so important to grab Quintana, to grab Montgomery so that you have the luxury to say, hey, this is performance-based and you've got to get the job done or we're going to, there's no spite in it, but we're going to have to do something different. And hopefully the answer is that Hudson goes toe-to-toe with Nestor Cortez tomorrow and makes it happen. Friday night at Bush Stadium, Matt Carpenter back in town. The Cardinals PR staff has already sent out a text to the media that Carpenter will be doing interviews at 4 p.m. with anybody that wants to be there. St. Louis media gets a chance to talk to him. Of course, I'll be doing my radio show, but check Twitter. People are going to be all over that. The uh, the mustached man himself back in St. Louis. I hope the Yankees put him in the lineup. I hope he hits a fly ball to right field that dies at the warning track so we can go, oh, yeah, that's what it looked like last year. No, I hope he goes yard. I hope he, I hope he does something. Cardinals fans might not agree with that, but I would like to see something good. And here's the thing that I just now thought of, and gosh darn it, I hope it happens. They need to play Long Hot Summer Day by Turnpike Troubadours when he comes up to bat. Like if we get if we get another, I might even have to tweet that out just to like put it on somebody's radar. 
if we get another long hot summer day, because I don't even think he uses it anymore with the Yankees. I think he, I, I, I have not been able to find a lot of info on his walk-up song this year, but I saw one tweet that said, does he really use the Home Depot song? You know, the, uh, the ones you hear on the Home Depot commercials. And if that's true, if that's what he does, respect to that as well, because his last name is Carpenter, Home Depot, you can make the connection. But really, I want to hear some some Turnpike Troubadours uh, over the loudspeakers one more time at Bush this weekend. That would be nostalgic for me. And I think for a lot of Cardinals fans who appreciated what Matt Carpenter was for a long time in St. Louis. But hey, we'll have more podcasts, more Be Safe Dailies over the weekend. See how that thing goes. Series with the Yankees. It'll be Jordan Montgomery on Saturday. That'll be a lot of fun, too, to see how he's able to perform against his old team. The first time he'll be making a start for a major league team that's not the Yankees. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see how he does. And if it's anything similar to what we just saw from Jose Quintana, I think the Cardinals are going to be in good shape with the moves that they made at the deadline to to add to their pitching staff. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if we get some turnpike. We'll, we'll, I'm excited. It's going to be a fun weekend at Bush. I think it's going to be an electric atmosphere, and uh, the crowds are going to be pretty big, I'd have to imagine. So that's going to wrap it up, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. I appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. And if you're not a subscriber yet, what are you waiting for, my friends? Uh, we'd love to have you on board. and We'd love, love to have you as a repeat listener of B-Shape Daily. And uh, always let me know what you think. Like, tell me how I'm doing. Tell me what I need to be doing better at. Uh, it's a podcast for the people. And so I want Cardinals fans to really be looking forward to and having B-Shape Daily is something that they enjoy and, and, and they get geared up for on a, a semi-daily basis. We've been really trying to go daily and it takes a lot out of me, but it's a lot of fun to do it, uh, especially when I know you guys are out there listening and that's been happening the, the uh, numbers and the response of the podcast has been really fun to see lately. So thanks once again. I really do genuinely mean it, guys. Appreciate you as always, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily. Peace.